You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on Good Friday, April 19th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of John. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar! So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last weekend, I was at a class on healing prayer at Christian Healing Ministries, and one of the speakers was a chaplain to the inmates on Florida's death row. And he has, uh, obviously, a a very unique job, uh, a very unique look inside of what death row looks like. And he gets to walk with prisoners during their time of imprisonment. He visits with them. He shares the gospel with them. He reads scripture to them. And most of all, he listens to them. But for those who desire for him to be with them, to accompany them on their journey to execution, he actually comes and takes up residence in a special building set aside for that purpose for the six weeks leading up to their execution. He prays with them each day, he speaks with them, he listens to them, he tells them about Jesus. And then at the execution itself, if the prisoner wants him to be there, only he and the prisoner's lawyer are able to be there in the witness room as their advocates to witness the execution. And then when the execution is finished, he leaves the prison and goes to the place where the prisoner's family is and he answers whatever questions they have, and he gives whatever comfort he's able to give. To minister to someone, to pray for someone, you have to develop 
a love for that person. You have to see them with the eyes of God. You have to love them with the heart of God. Imagine witnessing the execution of someone that you love. When Jesus suffered on the cross, most of his disciples scattered out of fear for their own lives because of their association with this rebel leader. But the gospel mentions that four of his disciples stayed until the very end. Three of them were named Mary, and then there was John the Evangelist, the author of this gospel. And it says in chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Even in those last moments before his death, Jesus was concerned that his mother would be taken care of, that she would have a surrogate son to take care of her and to protect her and to watch over her. Imagine the sorrow of Mary witnessing the bloody, painful death of her son. Now, there's a major difference between the execution of Jesus and that of the prisoners on Florida's death row. Whether you believe the death penalty is right or not, we trust that our justice system would not allow for the execution of someone who has not committed a serious crime. I'm sure it may happen from time to time, but for the most part, we can trust that the people who are executed the people who are punished are people who have actually done the crimes of which they're accused. Jesus had done nothing wrong. His execution was not a just execution. And even Pilate, the Roman governor, said so. In verses 4 through 6 of chapter 19, it says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the others saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And then a little bit later, it says, From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. So Pilate brings judgment on Jesus, not because he had done something wrong, but because he feared the crowds. He feared what the crowds would do, that the crowds might riot, that the crowds might bring a bad report of him to Caesar, and that his own life might be on the line. Pilate, the one who was supposed to execute justice, was a coward. And this is backed up by the prophecy that we read from Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the death of Jesus. 
In chapter 53, verse 9, it says, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. And then verses 11 and 12, Out of the anguish of his soul he, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus had no sin. Jesus committed no crime. There's no way in which Jesus deserves death. And yet that's exactly what happens to him. So if Jesus didn't deserve to die, who did? We read about that in Isaiah as well. In verse 6 it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who deserved death that day? Everyone but Jesus did. Pilate did. The high priest did, Mary did, John did, Peter did. And extending out into the future, you and I did as well. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died in our place. In a famous ancient hymn, appropriate for Holy Week. It says, Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. It was we. We deserve that death. It was we who crucified Jesus. It was our sin that held him there. He took the punishment that we deserve. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, it reminds us, that the wages of sin is death. And each one of us here in this room is a sinner. Each one of us has done things that we're not supposed to do. Each one of us has turned away from the Lord, turned away from his best for us, chose our plans for ourselves instead of his plans, chose our actions, our desires, instead of his actions and his desires. All of us are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And so this is the sentence upon each of us, for all of us have sinned. But what does Jesus offer us? Jesus offers grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Caiaphas, the high priest, who sought Jesus' execution, put it well when he said in chapter 11, 
It is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And the side comment is, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also, for, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's what Jesus' death was for. Jesus died, the one, so that the many might have life. The high priest didn't know what he was saying, but he got it exactly right because the Holy Spirit spoke through him. And this is the amazing grace that we sing about. That Jesus, the only one who ever lived without sin, offered himself as a sacrifice for us all, that we might be saved and reconciled to God. Jesus didn't have to die. He wasn't forced into a corner. In fact, when his captors came to the garden to capture him, and they went looking to see who Jesus was, and Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, I am he, and they fall to the ground. That's a brief glimpse of the power of Jesus. He didn't have to go to the cross. If he had wanted to, he could have called down armies of angels to come to his aid. If he had wanted to, his disciples would have risen up like Peter to cut off more than someone's ear. They would have defended Jesus with their very lives. But Jesus says to Peter, Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has for me? Jesus didn't have to die, but he chose to die. He could have escaped, but for our sake, he knew there was no other way to bring us back to God, to reconcile us to our Heavenly Father. Jesus' mission was a great rescue mission. The lost children of the Father were to be freed from the bondage of sin and returned to their rightful home. But even there, Jesus doesn't force us to return home. Some are far away from God and don't realize that there's anything wrong. They're blissfully unaware of the state of their sin and the state of their souls. Some feel guilty and want to fix themselves to earn the Father's favor. But of course, that's impossible. The debt of sin is far too great. The only way back to God is through humbling ourselves to receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our amazing Savior. And so today, we thank him for this amazing grace. And we accept once again the gift that he gives us. In the words of the author of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus' gift is ready for you.
all the time. His blood washes away our sins. And by his stripes, we are healed. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you were willing to share him with us. And we thank you that he was willing to take our punishment upon himself. What a wonderful Savior. What a gracious Lord. Thank you, King of Heaven. Thank you for drawing us back to yourself. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the cross. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.